With a determined voice and a look in his eyes that was non-negotiable, he asked me to reach into my back pocket, remove my wallet, and hand it to him. Next, he asked me to remove my watch. He then instructed me to do the same thing with my front pockets, turn them inside out, spilling any coins onto the ground. And if that wasn't enough, he went on to make a very strange demand of me. He told me to surrender any objects that were shiny, including pocket mirrors, money clips, and reflective sunglasses. After putting all my items in a little brown paper bag, he raised his hand and he pointed toward a wilderness place. It was an endless sea of North Carolina backwoods, so thick and dark that it appeared twilight at noon. He was not a thief. Rather, he was my instructor. I knew him well. I spent the last two weeks with him and 11 other people on a 30-day outward bound program. Together, we had canoed the Whitewater River that the movie Deliverance was filmed on. Before that, we had rappelled off a 200-foot cliff and bushwhacked through endless acres of wild rhododendron. And the most terrifying of all for me, a gorge crossing, where halfway across several hundred feet above the stone, we were told to let go and just hang there like puppets on a string. But now it was time for our final challenge. One by one, they dropped us off in different areas of the wilderness where we were to spend three days and three nights utterly alone. We were given the essentials, and I mean the bare essentials, a sleeping bag, a journal, a canteen, and a small six-by-six six blue tarp to be used as a makeshift tent. Now, honestly, at the time, I didn't think that was a big deal. After the gorge crossing and the rappelling, how hard could it be to sit alone in the woods for three days by yourself? So the first thing that I did was search for a place to call home. I grew up in a family where the real estate mantra was location, location, location. So that's what I did. I spent the afternoon leveling out this little niche on the side of a hill that overlooked this beautiful stream. So not only did I have abundant fresh water, I also had a five-star view. And I fell asleep that evening looking up at the stars, feeling pretty darn good about my first day. And then it happened. In the middle of the night, it began pouring rain, buckets and buckets of rain, at which point I realized I had made a huge architectural blunder. You guessed it, water runs downhill. Before I knew it, everything was soaked, including my sleeping bag. Praise God, the next day it was sunny and warm, so I hung everything up on tree branches around me, and I sat there for hours in my tidy whities waiting for everything to dry. And while I was sitting there, I had this sudden epiphany. What if they had dropped us off in pairs? Chances are, either consciously or subconsciously, one of us would have blamed the other one for making the decision to camp on the side of the hill, especially if my wife was with me. But alas, there was no one to blame but me. Now, for years, psychologists have pointed out that people and groups of people make the unfortunate mistake of defining who they are by whom they disagree with, and that causes great division in our world. For example, I disagree, I disagree with people who say that global warming is a myth, 
or people who think every syllable in the Bible is the literal word of God, or that the stock market is the definitive gauge on the overall health of our country. And finally, I must confess that I have never been a fan of religious movies that extract the mystery and metaphor from beautiful Bible stories that were written to be heard and not seen. So sitting out there all alone, it hit me. With no one around to disagree with me, what would be left of me? How would I define me? Who was the real me? As a result, over the course of those three days, my life took on a completely different focus. As much as I was tempted to, no longer could I point to other people's faults and beliefs to elevate myself. Rather, the whole point of the wilderness solo was to look inward, to look deep into the soul, which is why they took away all those shiny objects that we could have used for a mirror. And clearly, I'm sure they had in the back of their minds the Roman poet Ovid's story of Narcissus and Echo. In Ovid's myth, Narcissus is a handsome young man who spurns the advance of many potential lovers, including the nymph Echo. After Narcissus rejects Echo, the gods punish him. They punish him by making him fall in love with his own reflection in a pool. Finding that the object of his love cannot love him back, Narcissus pines away and dies. So that's the purpose of this season we call Lent. Just like Jesus, God calls us to resist looking in the mirror and seeing a false self that believes it is better than other people. To be like the queen in Snow White, to mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? And for many of us, it's just the opposite. God calls us to resist looking in the mirror and seeing the image of a false self who believes that it will never measure up, that it will never be good enough, that we are not worthy of love. So I hate to disappoint you this morning, but Lent is not about giving up red meat, chocolate, and smoking. Rather, it's about heading into the wilderness and giving up our false selves. The late Henry Nouwen said Lent is a furnace of transformation. In his words, Jesus himself went into the furnace. There he was tempted by the compulsions of the world. The wilderness is symbolic of great struggle, but also great encounter. The struggles against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with a loving God who offers himself as the substance of a new self. Lent is about heading into the wilderness and giving up our false selves. A time to sit alone and ask ourselves, am I becoming the person I want to be? Am I being tempted to choose what is comfortable and safe and predictable over what is right and just? Am I being faithful to my inner self, my true self. Well, the good news is we're not alone on this journey. The story of Jesus being tempted for 40 days in the wilderness is a metaphor for all of us, angels included. Jesus, we read, had his angels out there supporting him, and so do we. 
They are not people with wings and harps. Rather, they are real people in our lives who see through us with X-ray vision. People who see our true selves buried under our false selves. People who, much to our disbelief and resistance, tell us that we will never be happy until we become who we are called to be. And they can be a real pain. But they're right. One more thing about today's reading. The line, I think, that gives every reader pause, I know it does me every time I read it. After he was baptized, the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness. Now, what do you make of that? The same Spirit that floated down like a dove and said, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased, drove him out into the wilderness. To put it another way, why would God want us to struggle? Why did my outward bound instructor want me to struggle? Why do we need to struggle in order to discover our true selves, our new self? Well, allow me to answer that question with the following story. A few years ago, a young man came to me for pastoral counseling, and he was in the midst of a very complicated and sad and messy divorce. So I spent two whole hours talking to him. And in the end, we both agreed that sooner or later, we all face wilderness periods in our lives, that there is simply no way to avoid them. No way to avoid the struggle and the stress. Having agreed on this, we gave each other a big hug, and he went on his way. And then a few weeks later, I came to work, and on my desk was this beautiful bottle of wine. It was from him. And there was a note attached, one of the most beautiful notes I have ever received. Here's what he wrote. There is a 30-acre parcel in Napa that has produced a truly special wine since 1965. The owner of this parcel is named Martha, so her family thought it amusing to call it Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard is a steep, rocky slope that gets some morning sun, but it quickly falls into shade much earlier than the warm valley floor where the majority of the grapes are grown. Water quickly runs off the hill, creating both harsh and dry conditions for any life. When I read that, I thought of the water quickly running off the hill and soaking me to the bone on my outward bound experience. He continues, this steep hill is topped with towering eucalyptus trees that create further shade and contribute to even harsher conditions. These trees, however, have mysteriously added a subtle minty flavor to the grapes of Martha's Vineyard for over 50 years. This unique combination of a rocky slope, a unique rushing water pattern, restricted sun exposure, and towering groves of ancient eucalyptus trees combined to create grapes unlike anywhere else in the world. And then he wrote this. An interesting thing about grapes, and that is the more they are stressed, the better the resulting wine. If the grapes receive abundant water and sun, they grow round and fat and gorged with water and have a resulting diluted and common flavor. 
However, if the grapes are stressed with scarce resources and grow smaller, but with intense, dramatic, and unique, concentrated flavors. He concludes with this. The challenges, the struggles, and the stress that we encounter as individuals serve to deepen and develop our souls. They create open-mindedness, humility, and a deep, deep appreciation for the gift of life. I think that's the most beautiful definition of Lent and the Lenten journey that I have ever read. The challenges, the struggles, and the stress that we encounter as individuals serve to deepen and develop our souls. They create open-mindedness, humility, and a deep, deep appreciation for the gift of life. And so it is for all of us. On this first Sunday in Lent, we stand at the threshold of the wilderness. During this 40 days, we burn off our false selves and uncover our true selves. We cast aside the mirrors that project false images of us and others, and we discover that God-given image in all of us, the one that reminds us that we are all God's beloved children.